Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Hello, Bible truth learners. I appreciate each and every one of you tuning in today. I know it's late, but better late than never. And I want to welcome all the new Bible truth learners. Uh, welcome. We all appreciate you tuning in so that you can hear the truth of God's word. Here at Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D., we do not just share scriptures. We tour the entire Bible. We tour chapters, verse by verse, word by word, so that you can get a full understanding of what God is trying to communicate. Now, before I lay the uh, foundation of this new episode entitled Paul's letter to the Philippians, the Philippian church. Um, I want to make one correction from last week when I shared Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now in Ephesians chapter three, verse 19. Now this is the ESV. You don't have to go there, but I want to make a correction. I just have one correction to make. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, I misspoke, but let me read this verse and then give you the correction, okay? Verse 19 says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if you can remember, I said, um, so that you can know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Now that's in Philippians. Now, when I study, I don't just study like, uh, let me give you an example, Ephesians. I was studying Ephesians and Philippians and I got the verses mixed up. But what verse 19 in Ephesians chapter three means when Paul says surpasses knowledge, this is to know what surpasses knowledge is the sublime privilege of the Christian. The purpose ultimately is to be filled with God's fullness. Of course, of course, that's progressively because you are not uh, given God's full word within, let's say, one day or reading one scripture. So that is what I meant to say, is that ultimately the Christian is to be filled with God's fullness. Now, with that said, let me go to, and I will be teaching from the NIV today. Let, let us go to Philippians. Now, Philippians, Paul wrote this letter after receiving some supplies that the Philippian church sent him. He was in fellowship with them. He was in partnership with them. And so he, the letter started out as a thank you letter. And then it, uh, Paul, uh, because of some information he had received, from a member of the church, he sent encouragement 
to stick, stick with the gospel, be aware of false teachers, and that the Philippian church is to remain unified. Okay. So Paul was in a Roman prison when he wrote this letter. You know, Paul stayed in jail for defending the gospel. And this letter was written back in AD 61. Now you guys do the math <laughs> over 2000 years ago, AD 61. And it is still relevant today to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you guys have to remember, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. We are Gentiles. Um, he shared the gospel with some Jews, but Paul was appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And it was the Jews that beat Paul every time he preached the gospel and proved to them through scripture that they were wrong about Jesus. They commenced to beat in him. So I will be teaching the letter to the Philippians from the NIV today. Okay. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I typically teach from the New King James Version, the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, or the NIV, the New International Version. I choose the version based on the accuracy of the lesson because not all of the versions are accurate, including some things in the NSV, uh, some things in the ESV, and some things in the New King James Version. So uh, based on my studies, because I also study the original Hebrew text as well as the original Greek text. And then I compare which one is the most accurate, which helps me. So when I get to my commentary about the meaning of these scriptures, I don't have to work so hard because a lot of these scriptures in the NS, NIV, I mean, they speak for themselves. So with that said, I hope you are in Philippians. It doesn't matter if you have another version of the Bible. In the end, we will end up in the same place. Okay. So Philippians chapter one, beginning at verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing on behalf of him and Timothy. Okay. Timothy was a pastor at one of the churches Paul set up to all the, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Now the word overseers in the new King James is also synonymous with bishops. Okay. Now bishops and deacons are not, uh, I would say spiritual gifts, but they are positions in a church and, um, bishops who are also overseers uh, that's a very important uh, position because overseers are people who oversee the pastors. I would say bishops are just as close to being an apostle as, as any other gift. Okay. Because they are considered to be overseers and deacons are the ones who run the business of the church. And if you guys can remember when we read, uh, we went through the book of Acts, the beginning of the church age. Um, we found that Stephen and Philip were, were some of the first deacons of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now let's move to verse two, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel 
from the first day until now. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of the, of Jesus Christ. Now, the Philippian church was a very generous church. They sent supplies to Paul while he was, while he was in jail. They partnered, uh, partnered with Paul. Um, they were in fellowship with Paul and whenever he was in need, not just Paul, but right now we're talking about the apostle Paul. Whenever he was in need, they did not hesitate to send him the supplies that he needed just to sustain, you know, just to live. Uh, because you have to remember Paul was in jail. He was in a Roman prison. And when Paul says, uh, being confident of this, that he who, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is confident that they will maintain their fruitful activity until Christ returns, meaning their good works. You know, he bases his belief not on their own faithfulness, but on God's God's purpose and faithfulness until Christ's return. Now, uh, let's move to verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or because you got to remember, Paul is in jail or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. Verse eight, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse nine. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound, meaning grow, love on top of love, more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Insight of what? God's word and his purpose. Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now only Jesus Christ can, can fill you with the fruit of righteousness. Okay. Now let me elaborate on that a little bit. Paul intends their love uh, to result in their ability both to discern and choose what is morally best. Okay. Now as a result, their lives will be transparently pure. And they will provide others no occasion for stumbling. Okay. Meaning they will do the right thing and not cause no one else to go the wrong way. That is as simple as it can get. Uh, verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 12. Now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace God, uh, guards, I mean, uh, G-U-A-R-D, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, what Paul is saying is what happened to him actually served to advance the gospel, meaning he had an opportunity to preach the gospel to the people in the palace. He was in Caesar's palace, by the way, uh, the, the servants of, of Caesar, the, uh, the guards, you know, the, um, maids, 
the maid servants, he had an opportunity to preach the gospel. One thing about Paul, whenever he was arrested, it doesn't matter what prison he was in. Paul continued to preach the gospel because he was looking out for the salvation of everyone, not just people in his inner circle. Cause you have to remember the words that Jesus said before he ascended on high, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what he said. And Paul never wavered. And these Philippians, um, that was one of the churches Paul set up. And you know, he set up many because we went through uh, the letter Paul sent to the Galatians, which was law versus grace. And then Ephesians. And now we are touring the letter he wrote to the Philippians who were in Philippi, verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What he's saying is um, other ministers of the gospel, because Paul was in jail because he was an apostle. He was a leader in the church uh, because he was in jail. They preached the gospel all the more because they said to themselves, if Paul went to jail for this, we could at least preach the gospel while we're free. And without fear of uh, verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and by rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Uh, verse 16, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That's why he was locked up. Paul had not committed any crimes. All he was doing was preaching the gospel and lies were told on him. He was charged with inciting riots, which was a crime in Jerusalem, but he asked to go to Rome so that he can share his testimony before Caesar. Paul was locked up for that, but they lied on him. That is not what he did. So, um, Paul was reminding them that he was in jail for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Now, we had others preaching the gospel, but for the wrong reasons. That's what Paul is reminding them of. Um, some for selfish ambition, meaning they were susceptible to bribes. Um, they were preaching the gospel, but... They were trying to get money out of the people, um, presents from the people. Um, that's why he said out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, not from the heart. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Ah, boy, I tell you, we got some doing that today, preaching for selfish ambitions. Uh, Christ is far from their hearts. Uh, verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Okay, they were still preaching the gospel. It's, it's just that they were not sincere about it. Okay, um, and the latter part of 18, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul said, look, doesn't matter what, what, what place their heart is in. I'm rejoicing because the gospel is being preached. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul was um, pretty much uh, encouraged about being set free and rightfully so because the Lord uh, is always with his ministers. Okay, verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope 
that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, this is um, is some strong words Paul is using. What he is saying is it doesn't matter whether he lives, he's still going to exalt Christ, um, whether he's being beaten because of it. Christ will be exalted in his body um, or by death. He will die for the sake of the gospel. Okay. Verse 21 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying, as long as I live, I'm going to preach Christ and him crucified. And he said, if he die, it will be a gain for him because he will be with Jesus. And let me tell you, I understand exactly what Paul is saying as a minister. Now, we who preach the, the gospel today do not go through what the ministers of the gospel, the apostles or the, the uh, disciples or the teachers and pastors back in that day, during that time. We are not persecuted like that today. Mm -mm. Even the false teachers, <laughs> they are put on a pedestal, but their end shall be their destruction. I just want y'all to know that God does not support false teachings. So this is what uh, Paul meant when he said that um, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If he died to be with Christ, he gained even more. Okay, verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall, what, uh, I'm sorry, wait, hold up. I'm, I'm trying to multitask here. Y'all know I use an uh, iPad with uh, bi my Bible on it and notes. Yet what shall I choose? He has to make a choice. Do he want to go and be with the Lord? Or do he want to stay there and help the Philippian church? He says, I do not know. Verse 23. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, verse 24. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Verse 25. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. It will grow on account of Paul. Paul is the cheerleader. Paul is the encourager. Paul is the one that if you start feeling like drawing back, Paul will say, no, we got to keep going. We got to keep going because the reward is eternal life. We got to keep going and fighting for the gospel. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In a manner worthy. This is where we talk about living holy. Well, some people uh, start to become uncomfortable, but um, it is what it is. Okay. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is where Paul is talking about. We have to remain unified, talking to the Philippian church. And this is for us today. We have to be unified in the gospel in one faith. That faith is in Christ Jesus. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Now, what Paul is saying here, 
is that the courageous conduct of the Philippian Christians is evidence of the spiritual ruin of their adversaries and proof of their own eternal safety. Okay. That's why we should not be afraid. I know I'm not afraid to share the gospel. I've corrected bishops. I've corrected pastors because knowing the word is knowing the word and you can't deceive me in the word. Cause I, God has blessed me with the gift of discernment. And I know if you guys just listen to someone, just read a verse to you, you can be deceived. That's why I choose to read entire chapters so that you can know the truth. And don't you let anyone deceive you in these scriptures, because I'm going to show you where you can be deceived as we move through this letter that Paul wrote to the, uh, to the Philippian church. Uh, where are we? Verse, let me pick back up at verse 28 without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. These are those who oppose the cross of Christ. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Verse 30, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So what Paul is saying is, that we should suffer with Christ, meaning the persecutions. You know, those who, who uh, show love and give to the poor and, and, and those who uh, walk and live holy are always persecuted by those who are living unholy. But guess what? Uh, keep your head high. Uh, walk worthy of Christ. And remember the commandment that he gave us that we love one another so that the people will know that we are his disciples. You have to love your sisters and brothers, uh, my friends, my sisters and brothers in Christ. We have to walk in love. So that is what Paul is saying here. And when Paul mentioned that uh, since you are going through the same struggle, they were being persecuted as well for uh, walking worthy in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and when he said, you saw, I had. Now, if you guys can remember when we toured the book of Acts and Paul and I think Silas, I'm not sure Paul and Silas or either Paul and Barnabas came across this young fortune teller who was making uh, some of the Jewish leaders <laughs> uh, money off of her fortune telling. And they cast that demon out of her. And because they did that, the uh, Jewish leaders couldn't make money anymore. So they beat Paul and Silas, Silas. And so Paul is saying that you saw. So the Philippian church saw this and now hear that I still have Paul still going through it. That's why he in jail. <laughs> for preaching the gospel. He didn't bend. Uh, now let's go to chapter two, uh, verse one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort uh, from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make me joy, then make my joy complete. Be uh, by being like-minded, this is where he's talking about being on one accord, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now. When Paul is talking, this is uh, self-explanatory. That's why I chose the NIV. But what I want to do is add to that. 
what Paul is saying is we need to walk in humility like Christ did. Christ put everyone above him. He put everyone uh, else's needs before his. And that is what Paul is saying in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. That's all. He's not saying don't take care of yourself. But what he's saying is we need to look out for our brothers and sisters. And sometimes we need to put their needs above ours because their needs may be a little bit more uh, needful than our needs. And we need to put them first. It's not hard if the love of Christ is already in you. My sister is like that. My sister, Carol, uh, she has a book coming out, by the way. I don't want to promote it just yet, but she has always put others before herself. Even uh, those who were not loyal to her, um, she made bad business decisions based on putting the needs of others before hers when she should not have. But that's her heart. She has a good heart. She has the love of Christ in her heart. You know, bless her. I love you, Carol, because she follows uh, these episodes. So I want to give her a shout out. Uh, for walking in humility. Um, verse four, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, meaning walking in humility. Verse six, who being in very nature, God. Now, this is where Paul talks about the deity of Christ. He wasn't just uh, a prophet. He wasn't just our savior. Christ was God in the flesh. And when we get to the gospel of John, we need to understand in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us or either tabernacled among us. Talk about Jesus. So verse six again, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Christ didn't walk around bullying people because he came here to die for the sins of the world. He walked in humility, putting the needs of others first. He didn't come here to heal, but because he was God and had the power to do it, he did it. He fed everyone who was hungry that came to him that needed to be fed. Uh, verse seven, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. It didn't matter that that Christ was God in the flesh. Most of them didn't know it. You know, Paul knew it because you know how Paul got converted from Judaism to Christianity. And this was after Christ ascended on high in uh, chapter nine, verses one through 17 of the book of Acts. Paul was persecuting the church. And he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus to go and arrest Christians. That's how Paul was converted. Now, I don't want to get off track because we got a lot of reading to do. We, uh, Philippians have four chapters, but I have to share some commentary on, on through here because you may not understand some of these scriptures. Verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Verse 11, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Oh, yes. 
Paul said, although he was God in the flesh, he was 100% man in the flesh, but in his spirit, he was 100% God. And Paul said he even uh, walked in humility and put the needs of others first. And that's how we should be walking. Walk worthy of Christ. Um, verse 11 again, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father to God be all the glory. Uh, verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with the, with fear and trembling. Now, let me, um, explain what working out your salvation mean, because people get this mixed up. <laughs> now, in view of the obedience of Christ and his lordship, the Philippians should show a like obedience. Now, Paul does not teach that salvation is dependent on one's continued works because we ain't saved by works. We are saved by grace. But that salvation must express it itself in progressive Christian living and upright character, not only individually, but through obedient participation in God's corporate call to a local church. We all should be on one accord. And we need to work out our salvation by being obedient to the works that Christ did. Okay. Verse 13, for it is God who works in, in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who's working in us. Okay. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So they had some arguing going on in the church. Because <laughs> Paul never pulls stuff out of his pocket. He's always addressing the issue where somebody in the church came and told on them. Look, they starting to argue, Paul. They arguing and grumbling about little stuff. Verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, the NIV has um, the word warped here. But um, the word warp just simply means twisted. Okay. Just simply means twisted and crooked generation. Um, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Verse 16. As you hold firmly to the word of life. The word of life is Jesus. Okay. You got to remember Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Uh, verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Verse 18. So you too should be glad and rejoice in me. Now, what is Paul talking about now as the heavenly bodies, you know, shine forth in brightness against the, the, the blackness of the night. So the lives of true Christians, you know, lighten the moral darkness of the world. Um, and verse 19 talks about, you know, often functioned as Paul's personal envoy. His purpose in going to Philippi is both to encourage the Christians there and to bring back to Paul news of their warfare. Now, what I'm talking about is uh, Epaphroditus, who went to Philippi for Paul because he couldn't he couldn't go because he was in prison. Um, and I may have jumped ahead of myself because I'm, I'm switching from my notes to uh, 
the scriptures, but that's okay. We're going to work this out. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, not Epaphroditus. See, I jumped ahead of myself. He hoped to send Timothy, but Epaphroditus is the one who eventually went, uh, ended up going to pick up all the supplies that the Philippians had for Paul. Okay. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Tim, cause they, none of them had gone there to check on the uh, Philippian church yet. Um, so he was talking about sending Timothy, Timothy. Now y'all remember Timothy, Timothy was a young man. That's Paul's spiritual son in the Lord. Um, his mother was a Jew and his father was a Gentile and Paul took Timothy under his wing and Timothy been with Paul ever since all those years. Verse 20, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is these other ministers that Paul knew they weren't looking out for, um, the, um, the, the mission that Jesus Christ commissioned us ministers to do. They were looking out for their own interests, what they can gain from this. And let me tell you something. God ain't on their side. These are the false teachers that are going to hell with the devil. Okay. Cause you can't play around with God's word. Verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, that's why he's talking about Timothy as his son, but Timothy is not his biological son. Timothy is his spiritual son. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. Verse 23. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see, see how things go with me. Verse 24. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So Paul is confident that he will be, be set free, uh, free from prison. And eventually he is, but not during this letter. Verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Here we go. My brother, co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. That's who picked up the supplies for Paul. Okay. Verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Epaphroditus was ill. Verse 27. Indeed, he was ill and almost died for the sake of the gospel. Lord, praise God. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Because Paul was already sorry he was in jail and had Epaphroditus died. Oh, can you imagine how Paul would have felt? Uh, going to pick up supplies for him and, and risking his life to bring back to him in prison. And and he, he would have passed away during the midst of that. Paul would have been, let me tell you, I don't know if Paul would have made it. Because sometimes our flesh take over. Verse 28. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Verse 29. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Verse 30. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now what he's talking about here, because they already helped. What he's talking about is they could not physically bring the supplies to Paul. So Epaphroditus uh, risked his life to physically pick up those supplies and physically uh, transport those supplies to Paul in the uh, Roman prison. So that's what he's talking about. You got to remember back in the day, they talked a little different 
and the English uh, translators, they put the words together as best they could without compromising the integrity of the scriptures. Okay. Now we are embarking on chapter three, verse one. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. What he's saying is he's being repetitive about rejoice in the Lord. Paul never stopped. He was always consistent telling us to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, verse two, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, right here, the dogs, excuse me, <clears throat> Paul is referring to uh, the Judaizers, uh, the, those Jews who were continuing to practice Judaism and was going to the Philippian church trying to convert them back or convert them to Judaism. Okay, having them leave the grace of God to go and follow laws, the Mosaic law, because that's what the Judaizers practice that does not give you grace. Condemnation and judgment comes with the law. Grace comes with forgiveness and eternal life. Y'all need to remember that. Verse three, for it is we who are the circumcision. What Paul is saying, we, the Christians who are the circumcision, are because we are we receive the circumcision of the heart, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And we read that in Ephesians. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians on my podcast, I suggest that you go back, find that, that episode and listen so that you can keep up with us. Okay. We who serve God by, by his spirit, that's who are the real circumcisions today. Okay. Who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, Paul is getting ready to talk about his credentials and his testimony. But I want to make it uh, clear when he said those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, he's talking about the uh, Judaizers who uh, still practice circumcision, which is the removal of the foreskin of the male baby's penis. And every male child who was born as a Jew um, had to be circumcised after they made eight days old. So that's why Paul said those evildoers, those who, those mutilators of the flesh. Okay. Verse three again, for it is we who are, are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit. You don't have to serve God in the flesh anymore. Okay. Who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, verse four, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now Paul is getting ready to give his testimony. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse five, circumcised on the eighth day. Paul was. Paul was born a Jew. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was born as a Judaizer and was born into Judaism, that religion. OK, so Paul is giving his testimony about I know what they are teaching you guys. OK, let's listen. Listen. Uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law. Paul used to follow the law, a, a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees are the ones who kept the letter of the law. They were law keepers and they followed the law. Although they couldn't keep all 613 of them, they still knew it and they followed it as best they could. Verse six, as for zeal persecuting the church. What Paul is saying with, with zeal, with tenacity is that he used to persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. What Paul was saying is that, and what I just said, he kept the law. Okay. He was a Judaizer. 
not by becoming a proselyte. He was born into Judaism. Now, a proselyte, for those of you who don't know, are uh, individuals who converted from one religion to another. In this case, it was some Gentiles who had converted over to Judaism. So Paul is saying to them, I was born a Judaizer. I was born into Judaism. Okay. Uh, verse seven, but whatever, uh, but wait, hold up. But, uh, verse seven, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What Paul is saying is, even though I was a practicing Judaizer who practiced Judaism and kept it to the letter, I found a better way. That's what Paul is saying. He found a better way and he count all that stuff he used to do in his flesh as a loss. It's trash. It's rubbish. We're going to get to that. Verse eight. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Verse nine. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Well, Paul is saying when he was a Judaizer, he practiced the law, which is physical. Okay. Trying to become righteous to God by working, uh, by doing works in his flesh. That's what Paul was saying as it relates to the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We are saved by grace through faith and that faith. It is not of works. It is the gift of God. Lest anyone should boast that faith is in Christ. So this is what Paul is saying. I found a better way. You can't come to me and tell me about Judaism because I was born into Judaism. I was born as a Judaizer. I was circumcised that uh, when I made eight days old. So you can't tell me about it. What I'm telling you is I found a more excellent way. And that is faith in Christ Jesus that reconciles me to God. Now I don't have to rely on my own works because God is not accepting your works anyway. Okay. Verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Meaning uh, he's talking, this is symbolic by the way, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, verse 11. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this. What Paul is saying is he hasn't obtained the resurrection yet. None of us have. Now it gets deep here. So I, and I don't want to uh, digress, but, um, when we get to that section, as we, um, continue through this letter, then I elaborate a little more about the resurrection Paul is talking about already arrived at my goal. Let me read that over so you can understand it. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's still talking about the resurrection. We're going to get to it. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of, of, of it. Re remember, I'm reading from the new uh, NIV, new international version. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, meaning pressing forward to what is ahead of me. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
the goal to win the prize. What is that prize? Eternal life. Stick with Jesus. Stay in the faith. Stick with Jesus now. Stay in the faith. Now, I think I need to share just a little bit about that straining forward. The, the imagery is that of a runner on the, on the course straining every muscle. As he runs toward the goal, his hand stretched out to grasp it. You know, you got to cross that finish line. That's what Paul is saying. I'm going to press forward. I forgot all the things behind me when I was a Judaizer and practiced Judaism. All of that is behind me. It doesn't mean me any good. I am saved by grace right now, which comes with peace, by the way. And we're going to talk about that as well. Um, what did we stop at? Verse 14. Let me read that again. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Now, one thing I know about God, revelation is progressive in these scriptures. So uh, when he gift his teachers, his evangelists and his pastors um, to share the word with you, you, if you are still struggling to understand, you need to ask God to give you understanding and wisdom. And God has promised to do that. Okay. And if, uh, let me read the latter part of 15 again. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Okay. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. We have already attained salvation. We just haven't retained the resurrection part yet. Okay. Uh, verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, uh, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. What Paul is saying here, and I want to make this clear. There were some people in the Philippian church that because of God's grace, that they were telling them, you can live any kind of way. You can do whatever you want. You, we are apart from the law. That's not true. That is simply not true, uh, people. That's why Paul is saying in, in verse 15, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul and them lived holy. They were of one mind. They put others first. They walked in humility. All that. Uh, Paul is talking about verse 18 for, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Paul crying, many lie, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's what he said. Be aware of these false teachers. They are really enemies of the cross of Christ, the Judaizers and some, uh, who professing to, to be Christians. Okay. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, which is their greed and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is, look, if your mind is just solely set on having earthly things, material things, uh, that is who your God is. Okay. Uh, our mind should be set on uh, heavenly things because that is where our citizenship is. That is what Paul is saying. Now, while we live here on this earth, it is okay for us to have uh, nice things. 
We are the children of God. We should have nice things. But what Paul is saying, you shouldn't be chasing this because you have to remember idolatry. Whatever you chase, whatever you focus on, whatever your faith is in, if your faith is in your money, if your faith is in your car, I drive a nice car, but I can care less. It haven't been washed in three months. It's my transportation. And of course I need to take care of it, but I don't worship things. I don't. I, I, I set my sight on the things in heaven. Okay. And this is what Paul is saying. Christians are supposed to do. You should not be focused on earthly things. Okay. Y'all have to be careful with the idolatry because if your faith is in your money, if your faith is in your position, if your faith is in your job, that is who your God is. And therefore you are spiritually disconnected from God at that point and you are not saved. Okay. You have to change your mind. You have to change your heart and put your focus on Christ. Now here it is in black and white. Been in here since AD 61 over 2000 years ago. Um, let me pick up right here. Their mind is set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who by the power that enables him to be, to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And this is what I was talking about with um, the resurrection. When Christ uh, uh, resurrected, he received a brand new body. If you can remember, he was first seen by Mary Magdalene. Now, when she tried to touch him, she said, my Lord, Jesus said, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my father because he was clean. He could not be touched by a sinner. Okay, because that's what we all are. <laughs> we all are. He could not be touched by her because he received his new transfigurated body, which is what we will receive as well. Right here will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is spiritual. Don't let this scare you. Um, you have to look at this as a mature adult, a mature Christian and in, in the spirit. This is spiritual. Now, when we leave this planet, because all of us are going to die, this body is aging. This is the old body. This is not our new body. When we became born again, our spirit man became born again. Our spirit man is never going to die. What Paul is saying, the same new body that Jesus received when he resurrected, that's the same body we are going to receive. And Jesus, his physical body can never, ever, ever, ever die again. Never. And the new body that we receive will never, ever, ever, ever die again. We'll never age. Uh, we'll never have sickness. We'll never have any diseases. That will be a new body that we will receive. Now, let me get off of that because I know some of y'all are scared. Now, those who are spiritual know exactly what I'm talking about. Now we have reached chapter four, the final chapter. Therefore, this is uh, verse one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Verse two, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. Now, Euodia and Syntyche are two female ministers who were at the church at Philippi who couldn't get along. Okay. Now, now I want y'all to listen to this. So Paul is addressing this. Um, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntychus to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now it doesn't say what they were disputing about, but it's just that they had a dispute. Yes. 
Verse three. Yes. And I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the case of the gospel, along with Clement. I don't know who Clement is. Um, and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Now the book of life is the lamb's book of life. Let me explain that to you. Cause y'all need to know. Um, this is also written in Exodus and, and in Psalms and in Luke, the lamb's book of life contains the names of the saints, people who are saved, those who are, uh, have accepted Christ as Lord and savior. But here's the kicker. Everyone who is born on this planet name is written in the lamb's book of life. It doesn't matter if they are saved or not. Their names are written in the lamb's book of life. Now the lamb is Jesus. Okay. Remember when, uh, the apostle John was baptizing people in the Jordan river and he saw Jesus coming. He said, Hey, look, the lamb of God, the lamb is Jesus who takes away the sin of the world. If death catches up with you before you catch up with Jesus or Jesus catch up with you, your name will be blotted out of the lamb's book of life. Every name who was written in the lamb's book of life, uh, when they pass away, those are the ones who are given eternal life. Those are the ones who are saved. And the only way you can get that your, uh, your name to maintain or stay in the Lamb's book of life is by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior while you are here. Because once you die, that's too late. You can't come back and get it right. I don't care what, uh, say, what religion Satan set up to tell you you can be prayed into heaven. That's not true. So your name is written in the Lamb's book of life right now. So you better make sure you accept Christ as Lord and Savior before you your earthly life ends because it will be blotted out. And I'll share some scriptures with you if I have some time. Hold up. I, I, look, I got a little time. So uh, let me give you some cross references about the Lamb's Book of Life. You can go to um, Exodus chapter 32, verse 32 and 33. You can read Psalm 69 verse 28. You can read Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. They also talks about the lamb, uh, the uh, lamb's book of life. Um, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul was repetitive with that because we should always rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. We should be kind and gentle to everyone. The Lord is near. Uh, verse six, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, or either supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This part is very important because no Christian should be anxious or worry about anything. What Paul is saying here when he says, um, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition or, or supplication, uh, with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. Um, what he is saying is prayer and peace go hand in hand. Prayer and peace is synonymous because verse seven says, and the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding. This is the verse I mixed up with um, Ephesians chapter three, verse 19. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have to remember peace and prayer go hand in hand. They are synonymous. Okay. So uh, Paul said, if you are anxious about something and worried about something, you need to go to God. And I want you to also write down Hebrews chap, uh, chapter 11, verse six, because that is very important for you to know. Hebrews 11 and six says this. And I'm trying to remember um, because I remember uh, things in, in a paraphr uh, uh, when I paraphrase them, but not verbatim. 
um, that uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is Hebrew 11 and six. Uh, he who comes to God must first believe that God exists. Okay. And that he is a rewarder, not a punisher, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you know, God is a rewarder uh, to those who diligently seek him. Why are you anxious? Why? Why are you being nervous and anxious about what's going on or what you are lacking? If uh, you know, God is going to number one, answer your prayer. And number two, give you a give you peace along with that answered prayer. Okay. Um, that was verse seven. Let's do verse seven again. And the peace of God, which, which transcends or surpasses all understanding will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, this, this is how we walk in peace. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent, talking about moral excellence or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what I love about my baby sister. She have learned to look, exclude all negativity from around her. She used to, uh, what y'all know the phrase, um, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. That's a lie. You supposed to, uh, remove the enemies from around you. Your enemies will take you down. So what she has learned to do is to keep all the negative people away from around her and to think positive thoughts. She is always positive now. And because if you find yourself being around someone who is always negative, you notice they'll drain the peace right out of you. Don't allow that. This is your peace. You control your peace. And you have to remember what uh, verse seven says, and the peace of God. Uh, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But these are the principles. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, this is verse six by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then it says, and, but it's then, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say, Finally, brothers and sisters, in verse eight, whatever is true, these are the things we should meditate on. If you you just got a raise at work, meditate on that. Your child is graduating with with honors. Meditate on that. You just found a new job, your dream job. Meditate on that. You just got an unexpected check in the mail to help you pay your bills. Thank God for that and meditate on that because peace comes along with thanking God as well. Thank God for everything. Okay, verse nine, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Okay, and the God of peace will be with you. What's the principle? Put it into practice. Verse six, seven, eight and nine, put it into practice. Okay, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but you have had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now here is where we have some of the greedy ministers of the gospel who are preaching the gospel for selfish gain. They don't usually teach this part of uh, Philippians. 
As a matter of fact, I have heard some say quite the contrary, that we should not settle or be content with what we have. But isn't that contrary to what Paul, let me read this to you. So I don't want you to be deceived. This is what Paul is saying. Verse 11 again, I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul have had, had both. He suffered need and he have had a lot to where he shared as well because he was in a partnership with the Philippian church and he shared with them just like they shared with him. I have learned the secret of being content in any uh, and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all things through him, meaning Christ, who gives me strength. This is what he learned, that whatever state he was in, he have learned to keep his focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will help him through whatever state he is in. That is what Paul was saying. Now, we will find, like I said, these false teachers stay away from this scripture. But you have to remember, Paul's writings are in the Bible, not that person sitting in front of you or standing in front of you in the pulpit. Paul's writings are in the Bible. So if you're going to read some of his teachings, you need to read all of them. This is why I read full chapters. They can deceive you right here. They'll say, I've seen, I've heard a pastor, one of my, my, my favorite pastors, been listening to him for 25 years. Read this and then contradict what Paul said. He read this. I don't think he realized it was there. He got to verse 11 and he said, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. He talking about, uh-uh, oh no, no, no. You don't be content with what you have. You need to keep pushing for more and more because God is our father and everything on this planet belonged to him and all this stuff belonged to us. But didn't Paul just tell us a couple of verses over for us not to, to seek and chase after, excuse me, and chase after earthly things. He didn't read that scripture, but he read this one. No, no, no. Don't be content. How are you going to tell us not to be content? When the Apostle Paul's writings are in this Holy Bible and he his writings are inspired by the Lord Jesus Christ. OK, now let me read that again. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any of and, and every situation, whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's what Paul learned. He can live in any situation because he is living on the strength that Christ gives him. And when he says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, it's because of what they did for him. Oftentimes that scripture is read without telling you why it was being said and who Paul was talking to. He was talking to the Philippians who it, uh, in a church he set up in Philippi because they supplied his needs. He was telling them that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He, God will supply our needs if we supply the needs of others. But somehow that is conspicuously left out. Ah, we're going to get there. Okay. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Now, do, do you see the pattern? 
he's talking about the Philippian church sharing with him. Uh, verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account because when you give to someone who is in need, you rest assured God is going to make sure he repays you. That's how you are blessed. Given to people who are in need, but give from your heart. See, God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, a cheerful giver. Verse, eight, verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. Paul is telling them, I receive your supplies. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. See, Epaphroditus picked those gifts up for Paul in Philippians and risked his life to bring them back to Paul in Rome. They are a, uh, a fragrant offering, meaning a sweet-smelling offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. If you give, sow your seed in good ground, not bad ground. Paul was good ground because he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle of the gospel who was beaten on account of preaching the gospel. Paul says, by you giving to me, you will be blessed. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And right here, the latter part of 18, he say, he's saying that your gifts, they are a fragrant offering, meaning a sweet smelling offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. But the Philippian church, let me let you, let you in on a secret, were wealthy. They were well off. And they had no problem sharing with one another. Nobody suffered lack in the Philippian church. They took care of one another. Anyone who was in partnership with them, they took care of them. Anyone who was in fellowship with them, they took care of them. Especially the apostle who set up the church. Uh, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Paul is telling them, now oftentimes you hear this, this scripture mentioned to you, but it's not mentioned, uh, the previous scriptures are not talked about. Talking about giving, giving to poor Christians, not pouring out money into the church, giving it to the pastor, putting it in his pockets. We're talking about giving to those who are in need. We know Paul was in need. The Philippian church was quite given, by the way. They gave more than once to Paul, but you got to remember, Paul kept being arrested. <laughs> so, so he needed, he needed aid. But this is why Paul made this statement. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Giving. And then in uh, another place, the, not uh, the Philippian letter, the Lord Jesus Christ says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. All of what things? The basic needs of life. God promises to take care of his people anyway. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. But you find that these churches ain't telling you that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. What thing? The basic needs of life, healing, deliverance, but seek God's kingdom first and his 
righteousness. They both are synonymous. Both are related to Jesus and all of the things God will make sure you have. Now, if you read verse 19 in chapter four of Philippians, it says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You notice Jesus Christ is associated with this. And notice this, this scripture, this particular scripture is associated with giving. But yeah, you got the church. Oh, yes. Oh, and my God will supply all of your needs. Got people jumping up. Bring that money up to the altar. Drop it off at the altar. Robbing people blind. My Lord. My Lord. Oh, but God knew when he chose me that I was not going to sugarcoat his word. Hallelujah. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Verse 22. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now, he was at uh, in, in a prison in Caesar's palace, but he's not, not talking about Caesar's immediate family. He's talking about um, Caesar's guards, his maids, and his servants. Because Paul preached the gospel to them and they were treating Paul very well because they believed as well. Yes, they did. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. Now, <sighs> that was the end of Philippians. But uh, what I want to do is, is, is share uh, some more reasons why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. Now. He wanted us to grow in godliness. Jesus is our mentor and our model, but so is the apostle Paul. Jesus chose to empty himself, laying down his reputation and rights in taking the form of a man. He did not choose wealth and power, but came as a servant, dying a criminal's death. Jesus died a criminal's death on the cross with two criminals, one on each side. Mm -hmm. Humiliation. That's what they did. They humiliated our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in everything, Jesus humbled himself, even on the cross. He didn't fight. He could have. Oh, Jesus could have struck all of them down. You know who he was? This is somebody who, who turned water into wine, who raised the dead. He raised Lazarus. He, he, he raised the, the, the widow of Nain's son who died. It was her only son. And when Jesus found out, he saw the funeral. He found out it was that lady's only son. He raised that young man from, from the dead. Only God can do that. These are not fictitious stories. These events actually happen. You know what the Muslims say? The Mo Muslims say, well, you know, Jesus was a, mu uh, a magician. <laughs> you know what? I don't even want to go off in, uh, into that. <laughs> I don't want to go off into that. But when you want to tell the story of Jesus, don't pervert it. You got to tell it like it is. If the Bible was written 600 years before the Quran was and the Quran mentions Jesus, where you think they got his name from? But the Bible doesn't mention Muhammad or Allah. One man named Muhammad wrote the Quran. Yes, he did. And he perverted the story about Jesus. Jesus was an arrogant child, he says. Um, he was a magician. He used to brag on his, 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 uh, powers. 
No, Jesus was anointed by God. <laughs> the powers Jesus had came from God. A magician is a, an illusionist. Jesus wasn't an illusionist. What he did was real. He said, peace be still. And the sea calmed. How can a magician do that? Okay. Okay. Now we want to talk about how Jesus hum humbled himself. Let me finish this. You know, therefore God highly exalted him. The call to godliness is a call to all of the uh, disciples. Me as an evangelist, me as a teacher. We have to humble ourselves. Disciples are students of the gospel. Humble yourselves. Walk in humility as Jesus did. As his disciple, we need to walk in humility. We have the opportunity to lay down our rights and reputations and to give our lives in service to others for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. I was about to say good news and I changed it to gospel. We have an opportunity to do that. And that's one of the reasons I don't promote me. I promote uh, Bible truth because I don't want my name at the forefront. I don't want you looking and worshiping me because I'll shut all this down. What I want you to do is learn Bible truth. So with that said, sisters and brothers, um, I don't know what I'm going to teach you on next week. I have to decide that um, later today or later during the week. Um, you guys know whatever it is, it's going to be Bible truth. We are going to tour that whole letter. I don't know what I'm going. It could be a, a, a letter in the, from the Old Testament from one of the Old Testament prophets. So you got to remember the Bible was not written by one person. These were letters that were put into book form by the Apostle Paul. Every letter he wrote to a church that he set up, whether it was the church at Rome, uh, the church in Galatia, the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church, or uh, the Philippian church, uh, letters he wrote to Peter, not Peter, but Timothy. Um, they were letters. They were put in book form by the scholars. So didn't no one man write this and they each letter, the reason they say the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit was inspiring uh, the apostles to write it. Even the gospel, the four gospels, um, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was still living. Now, I, I will tell you this secret. The uh, gospels are a part of the Old Testament, not the New Testament, because Jesus Christ was still living and Jesus kept the law. He kept the law so we wouldn't have to keep it. He kept all 613 of them, never stumbled, never sinned, either in thought, word, or in his physical body. He never sinned. He did it so that we wouldn't have to do it. The uh, New Testament doesn't start until after the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the beginning of the church age. Um, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, go to, through my podcast. You will get information on how to access those podcasts and which podcast they are. And listen to, um, I think I entitled it the um, Acts of the Apostles, but not the Acts of the Apostles. It was actually entitled Acts of the Holy Spirit because the apostles were acting in the power of the Holy Spirit when they set up the church. Okay. And I'm sure you will be blessed by that. Knowledge, I tell you, is keen today as it relates to God. And I will not sugarcoat or compromise the integrity of the scriptures for anyone. For anyone. Now, until we meet again, I want you to stay safe. Uh, continue to physical distance, which is what social distancing is. It is nothing more than being physically apart from someone between six and eight feet. Wear your mask. 
Okay, the mask protects others while um, if they wear masks, it protects you. And as we continue to walk in this cruel and evil and adulterous generation, we have to stay unified. Continue to pray for the body of Christ. Continue to pay, uh, pray for your sisters and brothers in Christ. Continue to pray for me that I may continue to walk in the word of the Lord, that I may continue to preach the truth. Now, I already know in my heart, I will never stray from that. I made a pact with God when he called me to the ministry. I rejected it uh, early on. And then, um, you know, I found out the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, meaning without change. I knew that God was not going to stop calling me. So I accepted the challenge. So um, it is challenging. Um, so that's why I ask that you pray for me uh, and, and so that you can lift me up as I will continue to pray for you. If I pray for you and you pray for me, we will all be prayed for. So until next time, peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod 55 dot cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast anchor spotify breaker google Podcasts, and radio public and submit your remarks you can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.